The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. And I'm just calling this Baptism Through the Ages, just for no particular reason, other than we'll also be looking at, such as that what is in your hand, things from church history as well. So, Baptism Through the Ages. Um, starting, starting out here, let me ask you guys, whenever your journey into uh, Christianity in particular, I mean, I guess you could look at other, there are other, off, you know, um, let, let, let's just start there. I don't know what you were before you were a Christian, but once you came to faith in Jesus Christ of the Bible, how many of you, by a show of hands, were raised in a denomination, a tradition, a whatever church, that baptism was, it actually did something. Whatever it did, whether it was partial to your salvation, whether it was uh, totally necessary, whether... It wasn't just a cute symbol, as a lot of Protestants believe. How many of you are taught this actually is efficacious? It does something. And, and just for my own, just wondering, hold them up for a second so I can... Okay, cool. All right. So, the rest of us, we're, we're not, you know? So, it's very interesting because the way I was raised, kind of like communion, there was a reverence about it. It was both baptism and communion, uh, two of the sacraments. When we say sacrament, by the way, uh, just comes from a Latin word that just means mystery, right? Um, But it's understood as, you know how a word can have a technical definition, but a a connotation, you understand? Um, It's understood as simply, throughout church history and today, as a means of grace. So when we say a sacrament, it's a means of grace. So communion is a holy, it's holy communion is a sacrament. It's not just a symbol. It's a true means of grace and a special form of fellowship with the Lord and with the body of Christ, right? Um, A whole lot in that. But similarly, uh, with baptism, I was taught in such a way that baptism was something to be excited about. Um, it, now, I was taught, uh, we'll get to that in a moment. It was excited, it was holy, it was commanded. But at the end of the day, when you sign that, not that I had to sign it out of line, but so to speak, when I signed that pervert, hey, aren't you glad that air conditioner is not cranking in here like last week up here? She's up here a little snug like a bug. Yeah. Jamie, man, that's always his thing. He's like, wherever you put me up to stay in, in Jamie's voice. I can't do Jamie's voice, but, you know, got to be cold. He's got to have it freezing. And so, whew, God bless you, Bishop. Hallelujah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I thought you would like it. <laughs> you still haven't thought out from last week. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, but, but at the end of the day, you know, sign the dotted line, this is just a symbol. Now that's how my, and I was raised in a general charismatic, a little, a little Pentecostal, uh, but more charismatic uh, 
type of environment. And, and that's pretty normative for, you know, within uh, Protestantism. Also, um, there are different words for it. Pedo, infant, child, whatever you want to call it. Uh, child baptism, which I will get into this going forward. I am totally cool with and believe is valid. Um, as does the uh, total, you, the voice of church history would agree with that. Uh, were any of you baptized as a baby? Yeah, okay. So, so I suppose, you know, the person might say, yeah, but it sure would be nice to remember my own baptism. I get that, but I don't, because I, I wasn't baptized as an infant. Um, but I think from a scriptural perspective, and again, I'm jumping the gun here a little bit, uh, Paul is very clear in the New Testament that circumcision was the type and shadow of the type and shadow was uh, circumcision, but the substance of that was baptism. Paul lays that out a lot uh, in the New Testament. All right, just like the animal sacrifices were a type and shadow of the real, true sacrifice, Jesus Himself. Right? Makes sense. Uh, Paul in his in his epistles and in his theology, in many different places, uh, continually correspond circumcision to baptism. And so I was taught what's called believer's baptism. No, you have to make a conscious, decided decision for the Lord. And yet it was the Lord who told Israel, circumcise all your males as a sign of the covenant on the eighth day. Well, they weren't old enough to make a conscious decision and vote. You understand what I'm saying? And so... Um, and that, for that and other reasons that we'll look at later on, I personally uh, believe that child baptism is valid. I didn't used to. I thought it was uh, not, you know. But hopefully we learn and we grow as we go. Thank you for that amen, Ken. I'm glad somebody's wanting to learn as they learn and grow as they go. All right. Um, so we'll look at our hand, handouts here. Uh, we're not going to read all of these, so don't get nervous. This is just a very light sampling of uh, some of the voices throughout church history. Uh, and then we'll get to the scriptures as well, of course. Um, we're going to start with, um, let's start with number three. Of course, by the way, number one up there is Barnabas, the letter of Barnabas. That is the Barnabas in the Bible, just so you know. Just for different reasons, there are, there, and there's some other people, uh, we, we have their writings, but they ended up not being put in the canon but this is an authentic letter from the real Barnabas. I don't know that there's any dispute about that from anyone ever, just so you know that. So when you read that later and you're like, oh, the Barnabas? Yes, the Barnabas. Nonetheless, number three, uh, this is in the year 181. Theophilus, it's a great name. I like that. I think it's light, light of God or something like that. I, I could be wrong. Anyways, Theophilus of Antioch, number three, says this, moreover, those things which were created from the waters were blessed by God. So he's drawing on creation to make this comparison. So that this might also be a sign that men would at a future time receive repentance and remission of sins through water and the bath of regeneration. All who proceed to the truth and are born again receive a blessing from God. All right, now look right below, right below that. Uh, we have Irenaeus, St. Irenaeus, an incredibly profound, impactful uh, minister there in the second century. We'll just look at his statements here. 
St. Irenaeus, in his uh, most infamous work there against heresies, said this, And when we refute them, that is the Gnostics, uh, a, a group at that time, they still have, they're still around today, but uh, they, it was a very prevalent problem in the first century. Um, we, sh we, we shall show, we shall show, she shows by the she show. We shall show in its fitting place that this class of men have been instigated by Satan to a denial of that baptism, which is regeneration to God. And thus to a renunciation of the whole Christian faith. For the baptism instituted by the visible Jesus was for the remission of sins. According to St. Irenaeus. Next one, right below that. St. Irenaeus in another said this. And Naaman dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. And it was not for nothing that Naaman, when suffering from leprosy, was purified upon being baptized, but as an indication to us. For we are lepers in sin. We are made clean of our old transgressions by means of the sacred water and the invocation of the Lord. We are spiritually regenerated as newborn babes, even as the Lord has declared, except a man be born again through water and the Spirit, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. Uh, let's see here, just a little bit more of these here. Um, yeah, let's do this last one here by St. Irenaeus as well. Top of the page, page two. It says, now faith occasions this for, for, blah, 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 for us, even as the elders. The dis that was not tongues. All right. The disciples of the, of the apostles have, now notice this, Irenaeus says, the disciples of the apostles handed this down to us. Now, now, that's a powerful statement because Irenaeus was literally a disciple of the disciples. Like you can read about Polycarp and uh, St. Ignatius. There, there's St. Ignatius of Antioch who wrote a series of letters on the way to his martyrdom in around the year 110 AD. Um, Irenaeus said that the voices of the apostles are still ringing in our ears in one of his letters. In other words, we personally heard them not that long ago, at that time, in other words. So he was saying that to, to show the authority that they, you know, like we know, uh, Peter was the bishop of Rome. We know the, the person, for example, a, a person named Clement. We know we have some of his writings where he was the man that Peter laid hands on him and installed him as the bishop over that area. So it's amazing that this stuff's available to us, right? Uh, unfortunately, as, as Protestants, we, think, we tend to think church history began in 1500s, but uh, it did not. Now, uh, nonetheless here, he says, first of all, it bids us to keep in mind that we have received baptism for the remission of sins in the name of God the Father and in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was incarnate, died, and rose again, and in the Holy Spirit of God. This baptism is the seal of eternal life and the new birth unto God, that we should no longer be sons of mortal men, but of the eternal and perpetual God. Doing okay so far? All right. Thank you. Uh, let's look at the one below that. Number, number five. This is a different Clement than the one I just mentioned, by the way. There was Clement of Rome. This is Clement of Alexandria. 
He says this in 191. We are when we are baptized, we are enlightened. Being enlightened, we are adopted as sons. Adopted as sons, we are made perfect. Made perfect, we become immortal and sons of the Most High. This work is vicariously called grace, illumination, perfection, and washing. It is a washing by which we are cleansed of sins. A gift of grace by the punishment do our sins are remitted. And illumination by which we behold that light of uh, that holy light of salvation. All right, just a few more. Bottom of the page, number eight. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Afrahat, Afrahat, the Persian, we'll go with that. Bottom of the page, number eight. From baptism, we receive the Spirit of Christ at the same moment in which the, the priest invokes the Spirit, the heavens open, and he descends and rests upon the waters. Hopefully you understand that's all biblical imagery he's using there. Um, and I love this part. And those who are baptized are clothed in him. I love that. The Spirit is absent from all those who are born of the flesh until they come to the water of rebirth, and then they receive the Holy Spirit. In the second birth, that through baptism they receive the Holy Spirit. Almost finished with these. Your, your patience is impressive. I, I commend you. Number nine. I, I really like number nine here. This is a good one. By Basil the Great. Ha! Got a new title. <laughs> From henceforth, thou shalt know me as Jordan the Great. No. Yeah, he did. The greater. Jordan the greater. Take, take that, Basil. <laughs> Orla the greatest. Uh, I'll settle for silver. It says this, For prisoners, baptism is ransom, forgiveness of debts, the death of sin, regeneration of the soul, a resplendent garment, an unbreakable seal, a chariot to heaven, a royal protector, a gift of adoption. Man, I can dig it, man. I am down with that. Ooh. I might put that on the, at least the back of my tombstone. I don't know what's going to be on the front, but at least on the back. Now, let's see here. Let's do uh, number 12. Good old Ambrose of Milan. Another name I like, Ambrose. Um, let's do... Yeah, we'll just do both of his. This too is plain that in him who is baptized, the Son of God is crucified. Indeed, our flesh could not eliminate sin unless it were crucified in Christ Jesus. And to the Colossians, he says, that's Paul, of course, buried with him by baptism, wherein you, you also rose again with him. This was written with the intent that we should believe that he is crucified in us, that our sins may be purged through him, that he who alone can forgive sins may nail to his cross the handwriting which was against us. Right below that, uh, this is so beautiful. This right here is a powerful truth. The Lord was baptized not to be cleansed himself, but to cleanse the waters so that those waters, cleansed by the flesh of Christ, which knew no sin, might have the power of baptism. Wherefore, uh, blah, 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 nope, whoever comes, thank you, 
Therefore, to the washing of Christ lays aside his sins. And look at this bottom one, St. Augustine. Baptism washes away all, absolutely all, our sins, whether of deed, word, or thought, whether sins original or added, whether knowingly or unknowingly contracted. Now, it's a lot of reading. Last page, because I'm going to skip a few hundred years here, and we're going to look at uh, just these couple of quick quotes here by Martin Luther and John Calvin, right? Today, most people who hold to any sort of the Reformed tradition, any sort of Calvinism, Reformed, you know, Presbyterianism, uh, I mean, there's a thousand and one different denom versions, I guess you would say, of it, but just any churches that carry on, you know, the Luther, Calvin, Reformed tradition, right? M most of the time would emphatically, emphatically, emphatically fight to the death to say that baptism at the very, it may do a little this or that, but it has nothing to do with the salvation or regeneration or it has no connection to that whatsoever. Maybe it means you're a, a legal member of the body of Christ. Maybe it means you're a covenant member. Maybe it's Christian initiation, and I kind of agree with that. But it has nothing to do, you don't receive any grace when it happens. It's just kind of a great symbol, right? Well, Luther and Calvin rejected that emphatically. As a matter of fact, I don't know if it's... In your, I thought I put it on the notes in there somewhere. Uh, the very first person that we really know of uh, was one of the, the reformers named Zwingli. Zwingli, Z-W, just like it sounds really, I-N-G-L-I. Zwingli, and this is why Luther and him had some falling out. It was because Zwingli was the first one to come along and say, nope, even the sacraments are just symbolic. There's no grace, there's no nothing. Baptism's great, but you don't need it. Communion's fine, but you don't need it. I mean, whatever, it's a great symbol. but And Luther couldn't handle that. And boy, when Luther couldn't handle something, whew, golly, that was a rough dude, man. You, you, you can't even repeat in church some of the stuff he said. He was vile. He would, cursing, like vile curse, not just a little four-letter word, you know. Everybody except me in here says every now and then. I'm talking just, whew, yeah, man, like, Come on, dude. <laughs> but God bless you. God bless you. I mean, we all have our faults, don't we? I'm just saying, you know. Uh, but here's Luther from his catechism. Not just some half a note he may have wrote. Some, this is from his, his very own catechism. So this whole Luther, this whole Reformation thing's happening. What's the foundational? Well, here's the catechism. Here's the basics, the foundation. Here you go. You know, here's what he said. Quote, what does baptism give? This is Martin, faith alone, Luther, right? What does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. Next one from a book he wrote called The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. Quote, Although you only receive the sacrament of baptism once, you are continually baptized anew by faith, always dying and yet ever living. When you were baptized, your whole body was submerged and then came forth out of the water. Similarly, the essence of the rite was that grace permeated your whole life. 
I love that. So he says, you go under the water, so you're fully submerged in or permeated, you know, in and by the water. He says, in the same way, the grace of God fully permeates your whole life um, in both body and soul. And that it will bring you forth at the last day, clothed in the white robe of immortality. It follows that we never lose the sign of baptism nor its force. Indeed, we are continually being baptized until we attain to the completion of the sign at the last day. And then John Calvin just said it real simply in his uh, most famous work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. How do you know yourself to be a son of God? In fact, as well as in name? Answer, because I am baptized in the name of God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So there's other ones on there you feel free to peruse or not at your own time. But that was just to give a brief sampling um, of the flavor of how the church historically, um, I'll say it this way. So I was raised where baptism, again, was purely a symbol, fun, exciting, even commanded, but a symbol has nothing to do really with anything, just, you know. So, um, well, as we're, pardon me, as we're doing that, we can start in Matthew 28, just so you know. Uh, so if you're going to turn with me there, that's where we'll be beginning. But um, I'm very thankful that the Lord has, just like with communion, you know, it's been three or four years now, the Lord, in my journey, you know, I began learning that communion is more than a symbol. Uh, it's a true means of grace. I mean, read 1 Corinthians 11. Paul couldn't be more clear. To say that communion is just symbolic, you would have to absolutely rip 1 Corinthians 11 out of your Bible. You know, Paul talks of people in there uh, using the Corinthian church, people there were using the elements as a reason to have a little bread on their tummy and to get a buzz from the wine. He, you know, he deals with that. Um, he tells them that to not receive in an unworthy manner and then he goes on and tells them how to receive in a worthy manner. That is by discerning that this is the Lord's body and blood. So Mr. Zwingli comes along and many people such as myself in my tradition were blessed. Hashtag sarcasm. Uh, been robbed out of what's supposed to be a great blessing. Right? Of Holy Communion. And read Paul's writings on it. Read the Passover account from which it comes from in Exodus 12. And then read Jesus, uh, what Jesus had to say about it. That alone should be enough to show us that this is a, a very special means of fellowship with the Lord, the Trinity, and the body of Christ that nothing else can substitute. Nothing else can take the place of it, right? It's, not the only, it's, like, it's like prayer and reading the Word of God. Nothing can take the place of God's word, man. My goodness, nothing can take the place of prayer. You know, for, you know, so I would, but it's not all you need, but I wouldn't want to be robbed of it because it's one of the building blocks that we need, right? It's nourishment for our souls, man, Holy Communion. And so I'm thankful that as the Lord has tr transitioned me, I believe more and more into truth on communion, for example, uh, the biblical word for that is repentance. Metanoia, change your mind. Uh, so I've gone, I, I would hope, I think, 
from believing error to now believing more truthfully concerning communion. Similarly, um, I have also, you know, the same uh, transitioned by the grace of the Lord uh, with his help to understanding that baptism. Because what it amounts to, it's like we're being robbed of blessings when we believe error. I heard Brother Hagen tell a story uh, that there were these, you know, these, uh, this denomination of Pentecostals that he was a part of. Or, you know, they, they'd come together and uh, for some powwow, hoorah, kind of a meeting to hammer out some important blah, blah, you know, stuff. And one of the things that one of the preachers there said was, well, what about all this angels business? People are saying they're seeing angels and, and uh, visited by angels. And we need to just get rid of that and, and declare that that's false and that that doesn't happen today. And there was this kind of wise old elder statesman kind of preacher in the room, you know. He spoke up and said, well, if you're going to take angels away from us, what are you going to replace them with? In other words, if you're going to rob us of this biblical teaching, this biblical truth, if you're going to rob us from something that belongs to us as a blessing, what do you have? What better alternative do you have? <laughs> you know, so it, kind of like that. I don't like being robbed of things that, that are... God has designed to bless us. Now, if you're like me and you come from a super bona fide Protestant background, as soon as we start talking this way, your mind goes down the trails that my mind used to go down about, well, is it faith alone or is it baptism? To which I would, as Martin Luther taught, yes. Luther saw no contradiction between faith alone and baptism. I simply look at it as two sides of the same coin, right? Faith, obviously there must be faith, you know? Uh, but but let, me, let me show you this as we develop this here. Matthew 28, quickly. Kit, I, uh, I know I got to get those verses to you, sorry. Yeah. May God have mercy on my soul. Here we go. Uh, verse 18, Matthew 28. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Mm. I like that. So then he, he author, authorizes them. You know, he deputizes, if you will, them. He, he, he takes his authority and transfers it to the body of Christ, in other words. All, he says, all authority is mine. Then he says to the disciples, go you, therefore, in other words, with this authority, and make disciples of all nations. First thing, how do we do that, Jesus? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Now see, that wouldn't have been my super Protestant faith alone approach. It would have been, man, teach them the word. Get them baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we'll get them baptized. But, you know, that's, to me, that would have been lesser on the totem pole. But thank God the word of God has interrupted my goofy thinking. Can I get an uh-huh if you dare? <laughs> you know, so... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Apparent, I mean, that is the first thing. Not lay hands on them and cast something out of them. Not pour the whole bottle of anointing oil on them. I mean, not do a Jericho march around the church. Some of you aren't Pentecostal enough to know what a Jericho march is. You, you should try it out sometime. I mean, nothing, man. Baptizing them. Like, 
And this is like last order stuff here. This is like Jesus about to, you know what I'm saying? This is like, I'm heading back to my rightful spot at Abba's right hand here soon. Like, you need to know this, you know? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So clearly, Jesus puts baptism of first importance, right? now. Uh, Another verse that, I'll be honest with you, I struggled with for years, and I heard every Protestant theory on it, and I just couldn't. (sighs) You ever have verses in the Bible that in, I don't don't know how to make that, yeah, that inconvenience your theology? Gosh, don't you just, how dare you? Well, here it comes. Acts chapter 2. Very well-known scriptures here on this topic. Acts chapter 2. I hope this is okay today. I know it's more thinking and building it and developing it. Um, trust me, I like to preach and stand on the, on the pool. Well, not this one yet, but, uh, you know, hang from the chandeliers and do it too. But sometimes, unfortunately, we got to think. Ugh. I know. Andrew Womack, I love what he says about, uh, he says, some people go to, you know, we go to church just to be entertained. He said, how about we use our heads for something more than a hat rack, right? (laughs) Not that that any of it's bad, if it's truth. I tell you guys this all the time, uh, because I remind myself of this, and I try to live this way, and I hope it rubs off on you a little bit, because I think it's a good thing. But as I say all the time, it does not matter to me Now, it's fine to have a preference. It's fine to have tastes for things, right? But in ministry, in teaching and preaching God's truth, I personally don't really care if they shout and sweat and are all worked up like T.D. Jakes or if they're calm, cool, and chilled like uh, Charles Stanley or Andrew Womack or if they're somewhere in the middle like Joseph Prince or maybe me, somewhere in the middle there, you know. But as long as it's truth, It's God's truth that matters. And the problem is, we get so hung up on our God-awful cute little opinions and preferences and the way we like things that you could miss a blessing from God all because you didn't like the package it came in. Right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. I mean, think about it. You're talking about today, you know, in the church, you know, we're all, we pray for revival. We want to move a God. And man, a move of God smacked this planet about 15, 20 years ago called the so-called grace movement, but because it didn't show up in a package that a lot of people thought it was supposed to look like, well, they rejected it and missed out on a move of God, you know? And so I don't want to be missing out, you know? Like the Psalm, uh, Psalm 103. Don't turn there, or you can, I guess, but I'm not. Psalm 103 tells us, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord and forget not his benefits. So I don't want to be robbed of my benefits. I mean, how many of you in this room have gone to the fighting for your benefits at jobs before? You know, I mean, you would bless Americans, boy. Whew. Mess with my benefits now. That's a good job. That's a good salary. What are the benefits? You know, I mean, like we will move across the country for slightly better benefits at a job, you know. Psalm 103 tells us, forget not his benefits. I I thank God for the blessings that 
land on my head and smack me in the face while I'm walking down the street minding my own business. But there are also those blessings that sometimes you have to dig in in faith, stand on God's word. As Paul said in Ephesians, stand and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Right? Sometimes that's just the way it is, you know? The night that uh, I came to faith in the Lord, November 11th, 2004, in drug rehab, 19 years old, needle junkie, drug dealer. I called on Jesus. I asked him to forgive me, to be my Lord. I never even thought about asking for healing or I, nothing. I was just, I was at the end of my road. I saw that what I thought I would find life in was nothing but death, you know? And I just asked him, hey, be my Lord, if you'll accept me, if you'll have me. And without even thinking about it, of course he did that, but he also healed my body. That was just out of his own goodness. And then here's what, here's what I can't stand. Well, why doesn't he do that for, why didn't he? Stop that. Stop that. Don't think that way. That, that's Satan trying to get you into reasoning in the realm of unbelief. All right? Uh, I, I mean, I don't mean to sound like a jerk. Do what you want. But you know what I'm saying. I'm trying to help you. People get, we really get hung up on that stuff sometimes. And I don't have, why am I going to sit around and wonder why he did it for me that night and not someone else some other night when all I can really do is just say thank you. I didn't even ask him to do it. You got If as a matter of fact, you ask him and if he lets you know, you tell me. And that would be helpful. But there are the, the other times where I've experienced divine physical healing in my body that it didn't just happen when I was minding my own business. I had to dig in, stand my ground, and stand on God's word, and by faith, claim what belonged to me. And there's times where, where I did not receive, and there's times where I did receive. And instead of being tore up on the times I didn't get it, I try to focus on being thankful for the times I did get it. Now, when I say I did get it and didn't get it, I did not say he gave it or didn't give it, because he gave it all 2,000 years ago, and there's no turning back. All right. And so if there's some area in my thinking or my heart or my believing that's not, uh, I, I can deal with that. He can, you know, that's something that can be worked on because Jesus never told anyone in the Gospels. Nobody. All these goofy, talking about religious traditions that we just goofy man made stuff. Jesus never told a single person, son, daughter, I would heal you, but it's not in my divine divine, sovereign, mysterious will. You won't understand it now, but in the sweet by and by, one day it'll be revealed to you why I let you have this or why, or even worse, why I put this on you. You won't find that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Jesus repeatedly told people, according to your faith, be it unto you. Right? So that's the scriptural pattern. Well, I hope you got something out of that. I don't know why we're on that, but thank God for it. But I don't like being robbed of my benefits. Can you dig it? Did I read Acts 2 yet? Let's do it. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. Now, I'm telling you right now, this verse. <sighs> why? You know, this is, this is a big deal, man. This is the day that the kingdom of God is inaugurated in the earth. That's what Peter's sermon is actually about. Because all the Jews were sitting. You remember in the Gospels when they would say, to John or, you know, Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elias, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're one of the other prophets, some say you're John. There was messianic fever and fervor is the way I usually put it. Why is that? Well, the Jews read their own scriptures and they knew from Daniel's uh, 
prophetic book from Daniel chapter 9 about Daniel's, if you're familiar with this, 70 weeks or his 77s. And they knew that 490-year time period was up and at that time. And that's when Jesus came. That's when the Messiah came. And he was coming to sit on the throne of David. That's why he was called the Son of Man. If you've ever wondered that, that comes from, that originates in 2 Samuel chapter 7. That phrase, the Son of Man. That's why in the Gospels, Jesus, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Right? It was a title for the seed, the son of David, who would come and have an everlasting throne and an everlasting kingdom. And that was Peter's, and I just spit, hallelujah, hopefully it was anointed spit. Uh, <laughs> hallelujah. Spit's been, yeah, speaking of baptism. No. Hey, spit's been known to open some blind eyes. I don't know. You know. <laughs> Lord. Lord, look, I'll, I, I, with your grace, I'll try to do anything you ever ask me to, but I just hope you don't ever ask me to spit on somebody. Gosh. Oh my gosh. Acts 2 here, the inaugural message that the kingdom of God has come. No longer waiting on it. See, that's what all futurist eschatology is teaching, that we're still waiting on the kingdom to come. That's what it all amounts to. Um, but the kingdom of God has come, and Peter tells us that. But i got to move on here. Look down here, verse 30, 36 to start. Acts 2, 36. Uh, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now notice this. Now when, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what do we do? Now here's the verse that I just, why? Why did this verse have to be there? You know? Here's what Peter said. What do we do? First sermon ever, first Christian sermon ever preached, technically. Repent, that is, stop believing your li- the lie of Judaism's over. Stop believing it, turn to the truth. Repent, and each one of you. Now, what was their question? What shall we do? Some translations, what must we do? Repent, change your mind, believe the truth, and each one of you be baptized because it is a gloriously cute symbol. No, that's what I would have had to have said. At like footnote, this is what he really meant, or something, you know, I don't know. But this is what he said Repent, each one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which they did. All this happened. We know they were baptized in the Spirit, spoke in tongues, all of that. Look at the next verse, verse 39. We'll look more at this probably in the coming weeks, at least on, even if we do it briefly. He says, for the promise is for you and your children. So if you said that to a Jewish person and Peter was 
preaching to, uh, there were men from different nations, but they were, they were Jewish, you know, in religion, in other words. And we know here that 3,000 3, were added to the church here. But when you're speaking, if you tell a group of Jewish people, this is for you and for your children, if you would have said, oh, but don't baptize children, because they have to have a believer's baptism, they have to have a conscious, they would have, they would have thought you were nuts. They would have said, uh, you ever heard of circumcision? God gave that to our father Abraham, and that was the sign and seal of the covenant. And it was done at eight days. So what do you mean? You understand that would have been very, and there's no indication of it. And then when you get to the church fathers, as we'll see, they said, uh, one of the quotes I have uh, that in the coming weeks is, I forget which father it was, uh, but they tell us the apostles handed this down to us. The, all the, exi- you know, the exact ways of baptism. And um, if you study it all out, and, and, and I'm, you know, what's that, com- what's that cleaning product? It does the work so you don't have to. Or so, you know, Joe Dirt says that in his movie. Uh, it cleans so you don't have to. I don't know what it was. It's a, I'll study so, you know, I'll save you some of this trouble and effort here. But, uh, but it was just a non-issue. You know, bat- baptizing was, uh, children was never an issue for them. Now, let's l- keep looking here, though. Verse 40, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation, which should hearken to Matthew 24, when Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass. So in other words, the end is coming uh, in 70 AD. You understand that? But look at the next verse. Verse 41, so then those who received his word were baptized. And that day, there were about 3,000 souls. So notice that. According, how do we know these souls were added to the church? They received the word and were baptized. Right? I, I don't think I, that's a straight, I don't think I'm taking any poetic liberty there. That's, right? It can, yeah. So, again, these are verses that have, you know, are inconvenient. When you don't believe them. <laughs> or when you just, it's not, none of it. All, like I say, all you know is all you know. And, and you know, we're, we're all doing the best we know how to probably on our journey. And, but thank God we, we learn and grow as we go. Right? Let me give you a couple more verses and we're finished. Um, let's, we're going to stay in the book of Acts. And let's see here. I think I want chapter 8. And we are wrapping up here, finishing up. Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 12. says, But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, see, the kingdom had come. What was Peter's message? The kingdom's here because the king is here. I just want to, that's, that would have been a big point to the Jewish people who had been waiting for thousands of years for Messiah to come and restore and establish and exalt the kingdom. Now, they misunderstood what that would look like, but still they knew what they were waiting for was the kingdom of God. But nonetheless, it says, the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. All right, now, uh, 
jump over to Acts chapter 16. And I am skipping over stuff that we may get to in the coming weeks, but let's jump over to chapter 16, which is my next to last verse. 16. We'll begin in verse 1. Um, no, I'm sorry, chapter 19. Very, uh, I, I always enjoy this account here. Acts 19, beginning in verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Verse 2. He said to them, now this is interesting, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Well, they were Baptists. That's a joke. <laughs> That's a joke. Will you forgive me? I make fun of myself too, so give me a little mercy here. Um, said that we didn't even know there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, then how were you baptized? Under what baptism? You know. And they said to him, John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with a the baptism of repentance, changing your mind, telling the people to believe in him who was to come. Because remember, what did Jesus say about John? He said, Jesus said, the law and the prophets were until John. So John is the person who, and his, his person in ministry represented the transition. Right? And what was his ministry? Repent. The kingdom now is at hand. Why? Another part of his message. But behold, the Lamb of God, he's come, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And, and John means grace, or God is grace. So he represented that transition from law to grace, right? So uh, then in verse 5, he says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now this is the part that, that got me with, with these verses. Ver, what did verse 1 say? That Paul came there to some disciples. So it seems... To my Protestant theology, it would have been like, well, you're believers. All right, good. I'll see you later. I got to get to, you know, wherever, wherever Paul is off to next. He's always off to somewhere. Paul thought this was such a big deal that, believe it or not, I've got to baptize. You've got to be baptized the right way. That he made it a point. Is that, am I making sense with that? So, I mean, to me, that's, it wasn't like, well, that's, it's okay. Yeah, it's cute. Baptized not. Like to Paul, this was of first importance, right? And that makes sense because what did Jesus tell him in Matthew 28? First thing, go make disciples. How? Baptizing them. The first thing, you know, baptizing them. Not that's all of it. But and when verse six, and when Paul laid his hands upon them, so so they've believed, now they've been baptized in water. Now they're going to be what we call filled with or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. How do we know that? Because they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And it says there were in all about 12 men. Last thing, Acts chapter 22, and we'll be finished. Start in verse, we're just going to read maybe two verses here. We'll start in verse 6. This is Paul. Uh, shoot, sorry. I pushed a button. Here we go. Uh, uh, verse 6, yeah, Paul relaying his story here, he says, but it happened that as I was on my way 
approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered and said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but they did not understand the voice of the one uh, who was speaking to me. Verse, look at verse 12. I, I'm going to read all of it. Verse 12, it says, A certain man named Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and was well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, he came to me and standing near me, he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. Then he said, almost finished, then he said, uh, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Then he said this, verse 16, Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So what do you have there? Faith. I mean, he was already believing. He already, as soon as the Lord knocked him down, who are you? I'm Jesus. What, what do you want of me? I mean, he, he was believing at that point. But he says here, why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So what's the biblical? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Part of calling on his name also includes being baptized. So Jordan, which is it? Just because think about this. You guys, the night that I came to faith in Jesus. Now, I was, I was baptized when I was younger, but the night that I made the conscious, you know, I was converted. I, I truly converted my heart to Jesus. But think about this with me, if you would, for a moment. The, uh, for example, accept Jesus into your heart. Really, that's not a biblical phrase. And I'm not against it. Because that's just, because if you, uh, you know, the sinner's prayer, you're not going to find that in the Bible. You're not going to find in the book of Acts, you are not going to find um, Paul, Peter, Philip, Stephen, uh, Barnabas, Paul, it doesn't matter. You're not going to find someone, you know, they got a crowd of thousands out there and they say, now, whoever wants to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, come down to this altar and pray this prayer. You won't find that in there. But, and yet, I think it's effective. I think it is a valid form of whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But am I making sense there? Because we could say, well, Jordan, but baptisms, because of how we've been taught, some of us, myself, uh, certainly. And yet, when I read these scriptures, at the end of the day, Something I regularly try to do is bow the knee because Jesus is Lord, Jordan is not. And so as much as I know how to, and I'm like you, sometimes it's because of my thick head, sometimes it's because I'm just as rebellious as Abby is, or I mean, as, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, we all got our, it's just hard sometimes, you know, it's a lifelong process and, and that's okay. 
That's why God gives us the gift of repentance. Acts chapter 5 says. Acts 5 says God granted repentance to Israel. Repentance is not our gift to God. It's his gift to us. So we can turn from things that are harming us, whether in action or in belief system, and turn towards a truth that liberates us, right? Um, But again, all of these scriptures here, it just, they are what they are. And I'm just not the guy who's going to, when, when I'm aware of it and when I'm, you know, I, I'm just not going to fight with Jesus on this stuff. So Jordan, what are you saying? The, the Protestant, Billy Graham, pray the prayer, invite Jesus into your heart, uh, faith alone thing, or is it also baptism? To which I now, I believe, biblically say yes. Now, the church has historically, before someone gets freaked out, Throughout church history, and I am a massive church history buff. I just love it. I mean, I, I love all, you know, I'm, a, I'm wired to love these things, the things of the Word of God, because He's called me to preach it. And I, I actually, before I knew the Lord, I wanted to be a history teacher. I mean, I've always been kind of a history buff. Um, well, now I get church history, you know, and I like that. So, but um, throughout, throughout church history, the church mostly does not say what some of you have been wondering about, well, is it, if you're not baptized, is it do not pass go, do not collect $200, go straight to hell? No, the church has always has said no to that because even a desire to be baptized shows a converted heart, a heart that's bending or is bent or is turning to, you understand, towards God. Does that make sense? So, so now I have met people <laughs> I had a class one time called Comparative Religions, and I had to interview someone from a different Christian background or, or, or any, you know, anything. So I, I happened to have a friend uh, that I, because I could have went and tried to find someone of something totally different, but I just happened to work with a guy who was Catholic, and I thought, well, that'll be different enough. That'll be fine for the grade and all that. And I was intrigued by it. Uh, this guy told me, like, I said, so what about, you know, salvation? Well, you got to be baptized. I said, okay, how's that? Like, he said, so if it's Sunday morning, <laughs> this is what he, this is, you hear this example. This is the example he gave me. His name's Damien. He said, if you're Sunday morning, you've converted in your heart to faith in Christ for two years, but you've not been baptized, but the day has finally come and you're on your way there, and right before you turn and pull into the parking lot of the church, you get hit by an 18-wheeler and you're dead, he said, it is straight to hell. There is no... Well, historically, the church resists and rejects that idea. So don't get all tore up if you've not been baptized or anything like that. Um, Just look at it as two sides of the same coin. Faith in Christ and holy baptism. Is that okay? Does that make sense? I, I, I'm well aware this could be a little challenging from some of our backgrounds. I think, even though we did some quotations from church history, I think the scriptures that we gave were, we, I could say, fairly adequately reinforce the apostolic message was clearly believe and be baptized, period. Not just believe and if you want to get baptized later, that's fine. We'll see. No, it was believe and be baptized. What did he say to Paul? for the remission of sins. Go wash away your sins in baptism. Acts 2, what must we do? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness or remission of your sins. That was Peter's words, not Jordan's. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. 
We hope that it has encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.